Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, I'm Daz Smith and welcome to The Signal Line. Today's podcast is a remote viewing AMA with Lynn Buchanan, recorded 27th of August 2021. Project Stargate Remote Viewer number 018 joins us tonight for an AMA or Ask Me Anything. Lynn Buchanan is now retired from the US Army Intelligence and he has used remote viewing to assist police and federal agents in locating missing children and he founded Problem Solutions Innovations, a company that helps corporations develop solutions for intelligence-related data acquisition. Considered to be one of the best remote viewing trainers, he lives in Alamogordo, New Mexico. I hope you enjoyed the show. So welcome, everyone. Uh, as with all our usual meetings, if you want to ask a question, feel free to put your hand up using the reactions button at the bottom of your bar. If you don't want to uh, speak on camera or let us hear your voice, feel free to also also ask any questions you want in the chat window and myself or someone else will pick that up. As you know, tonight we got the legend Lim Buchanan along with us to answer your questions and do an AMA, which is Ask Me Anything. So, yeah, I think we should uh, move straight into it and go straight forward. So, yeah, if anyone's got any questions they want to ask, please put your hand up and Let's take it away, or I can go to some of the questions that I've got that have been asked on Facebook. Bear with me a second. I've got to let another five people in. It's a popular evening. So who wants to go first then? Don't be shy. Go for it, Don. I thought it might be you. You're still muted. Okay, I should be good now. Yeah. Um, okay, Lynn, I've got a like a practice uh, uh, remote viewing uh, experience that I wanted to discuss here. I had a recent um, session where I perceived uh, splashing, and I was in S2, and I wrote the word splashing. But then immediately the word bubbling came up. And because bubbling came with splashing, I thought, okay, let me just put that down as S2. Now, when I got the target feedback, it was someone in a boat with a paddle and they were splashing their way through. There was no bubbling, okay? And it occurred to me later that even though bubbling was a valid S2 word, Maybe I should have declared that as an AOL. And I've never really thought about something like that before. If it was close or whatever, I would have like just put it down. But now I'm starting to like focus into these things. And I don't know yeah. whether that's a realistic thing. Am I supposed to like realize, oh, that popped into my head because I thought of splashing and bubbling is the next thing that, you know, my left brain came up with and but put that into AOL? I mean, that's the question. Does this make sense? This is a really kind of funicky one. Uh, when you got the splashing and then you got the bubbling, did you think, therefore, it must be bubbling? 
Yes. Uh, then that's an AOL. Yeah. If you got splashing and then bubbling, hey, they're both stage twos. Yeah. Okay. So, but the thing is, I should have realized that because I thought of splashing I th and bubbling came to mind that was a left brain byproduct and actually AOL that S2. Yeah. And uh, the, the whole trick is learning to recognize when a thought comes to you just out of nowhere or from the site and when it comes to you from your conscious mind. Yeah. And that's not easy to do. Yeah. It's really not. That takes years. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't beat yourself up for it. <laughs> uh, no, but the thing is, I am just starting to notice this kind of yeah. thing when I go Good. through my session. And so I guess this is like a level of perception kind of a thing. Maybe I'm just starting yeah. to. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The fact that you're going back through your session and sort of reliving it. Listen, that is the best training you can get. That mm. is, uh, that's, you're doing that. Go down to the uh, uh, store that, go down to Walmart, go into the stationary section. There's a little box of gold stars. Buy that box, give yourself a gold star. On that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. That might be taking it too far. But I <laughs> did be. think this this was an interesting sort of like perceptual thing, you know. And I, yeah, I nobody ever talks about that, so I thought I would mention it. That's one of the uh, things. Um, I don't know. Uh, did you take a what a three or four day course? Uh, I took uh, a course I've been practicing now for about four years. Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, the coursework, um, most of the coursework that's done in the civilian arena today uh, is done over a weekend or, or over a week or something like that. And uh, you can't cover it all. You just can't. Mm -hmm. It's not the teacher's fault. It's the fact that there's too much. Uh, let me show you something here. The controlled remote viewers instructor's manual. Wow. And it's incomplete. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, we're talking about the human mind here and you can't teach everything about the human mind in four days. And so this is why practice, practice, practice and staying with your instructor is very important. Uh, uh, Paul Smith knows CRB inside and out, but he can't teach it in three days or four days. And so you keep contact with your instructor. Uh, Coral's here. Coral is a fantastic teacher over in, uh, in Italy. And uh, when, you, when you start with a trainer, you stay with that trainer because they have more than they can impart in just a familiarization type thing. 
And, uh, you know, many trainers will charge you for additional time or whatever. I, I don't do that. But, uh, but yeah, stick with your trainer. It's, it's really important. All right. Thank uh, you very I'll, much. I'll get off my, my podium here and stop preaching. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mandy, uh, before we go to Liz, cause she put her hand up. Mandy, did you have a question you wanted to ask Mandy Paul? You got your hand up for a while, but you're muted at the moment as well. Hello. Good evening, Lynn. How are you? Oh, evening. Fine. Good How evening, are you? Yes. Also. Um, I'm good. Thank you. Um, the question that I have is, when we bilocate to the location, is it possible not only to retrieve information, but can we retrieve smells and scents of the target? Can you retrieve what of the target? Uh, smells and scents, you know, like woodlands. Um, oh, or... Yeah. If you totally bilocate, um, okay, Ingo said by location is where your mind is half at the viewing table and half at the target. And okay. uh, that's where you're getting information and reporting it. And yes, absolutely. You can get smells, taste. Uh, you can feel the wind on your face and everything else. Um, there's a situation that goes beyond that that Ingo said, never let, told monitors, never let a viewer do. And that's where instead of bilocating, you totally by you totally locate to the target. It's called perfect site integration. You can't tell you're not there. And uh, you forget all about the table, you forget all about reporting and all that. And so um, in, in things like that, you can't help but get the smells and the taste and the feels and you you can walk across the street, you can you can do things, you can touch things and all that. Ingo says, do not let a viewer do that because then when they finish and come back, they give you a quick summary. <laughs> they don't give you details. And so, uh, but yeah, even in the bilocation, where you're experiencing the target and still at the table. Um, yeah, you can pick up the smells and taste and everything else. Yeah. Well, why I ask this question is um, I'm still practicing on a regular basis. And um, there was this target where it was actually a rust spot on somebody's PC, but it was the shape of a squirrel. Okay. So when I viewed the target, target it took me to Woodlands and I could smell wood, I could smell the pine trees, and I could smell, I could just smell everything that was actually there. So when he showed me the actual image of the squirrel, it were actually on a metal um, surface, but it was the shape of a squirrel, which he just found it very interesting that I, it took me to a woodlands with pine trees and, and woodlands. Yeah. Well, did you get further feedback? Not yet. I'm still waiting. <laughs> Okay, yeah. This is one of the things with uh, uh, people who give a target. They give a target like it's a, okay, it's a little figurine or something. And a person viewing it will get the surrounding area and all that. 
but then the person who selects the target doesn't give feedback. Uh, you'll um, not trying to advertise here. If you go to my website, um, I have about 450 targets that give not only the target, but also the surrounding area gives you maps to, to uh, uh, DAOs and all this other stuff. And it gives you links to more information about that target so that if you got something that's not in my feedback, hey, you can go look for it. But yeah, um, anybody who gives a target should provide full feedback. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time. So, so whoever gave you that target, require full feedback from them. Thank you. I'll, I'll press. All right. Good. Thank you. Thanks, that Mandy. Uh, this, this, you've had your hand up for a while. If you'd like to do next. Hi. Hi, Hi everybody. Hi, Lynn. Des. Thank you so much for hosting this. So we get to talk to the great Lynn Buchanan. Hi, Lynn. I have tried so hard to contact you. You are like the <laughs> mission impossible. I can't ever well. get hold of you. I know you're busy. I do have a question, please, if I may. Could you talk me through your detox process with remote influencing as I have been trying to figure out how to do it effectively, please? Um, I would not toy with remote influencing without training, okay? It can be, it can be, you can, inf you can influence somebody and you find out that that path is a two-way street. You can mm -hmm. get sick if they're sick. Yeah, uh, I understand that. Yeah. I actually took training at the London College of Psychic Studies years ago. And the lady who trained me, she trained under you. So I do, I have undergone the training and some of the detox methods I actually, so the reason I'm interested in this is because of what I do with Mr. George Dewisman. He created this uh, method called the consciousness transformation techniques. And when you're tuning into people, it's very similar to RI work. And so I wanted to use your detox method effectively after I do a CTT session. Okay, good. Uh, with controlled remote viewing, it's very easy because it's all written down. And so what you do is you start at your last impression and you ask yourself that impression of, let's say, fear or something. Is that me being afraid or is that them? Oh, it's them. Okay. Then you go to the impression before that. And you work your way back up through the session going backwards. And it's like unzipping yourself from the, from the target. You separate yourself one impression at a time. And, um, and with remote, with controlled remote viewing, it's very easy. Now with methods where you don't write, uh, you know, where you don't write everything down, uh, you can still mentally go back and you can say, okay, I'm feeling this. Is that my natural feelings or is that feelings you got from them? 
and you you work that out. Then you go to the next feeling. You say, well, I'm also feeling this, or I'm also, you know, having this experience or, or something. Is that them or is that me? And one by one, everything you found out about that person, one by one, you separate it. You can't do it all at once, but you do it one by one. And by the time you finish, yeah, you're separated, you're detoxed. Um, now I've had sessions, especially like with Saddam Hussein, who is just crazy as he could be, uh, you know, getting into his mind and all that, where uh, the session might last for 45 minutes and the detox might last me for an hour and a half. So, uh, but it's very important. The detox is very important if you're going to be doing that. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. Yes. Yeah, so sorry about the noise. I got a house full of kids. Um, so that that's really helpful because during a CTT session, what you're doing is you're peeling off layers of emotions. And so yeah. I guess after the session, I would then assess, just to recap, I would then assess what I'm feeling right at that moment. And then I say, okay, is that my feeling? Is that their feeling? And then how do I mentally separate at that point? Do I say, okay, that's them and this is me? And do I need to yeah. like etherically usually, like have a pair of scissors and cut the strand or no, uh -uh. usually that does it. That's them. Oh, you have logically worked it out. Uh now if you say, Oh, I'm feeling fear, I'm gonna get rid of my fear. That's hard to do. But if you say, oh, I'm feeling fear and it's their fear and I'm through with that now, then you have separated. So it's usually that simple. It really is. Okay. I also have created some new RI methods and I would love to run them by you sometime. If you have a chance, what is the best way to contact you, please? Uh, like you say, it's very difficult. Uh, <laughs> uh, Four years ago, uh, I died. They brought me back 11 times and mm. finally it stuck. And uh, I'm now I'm now transhuman. I've got a machine in here keeping my heart going. And uh, the last time they checked the machine, I had 95 uh, episodes of uh, AFib over the, over the previous six months. This time, over the last six months, I've had 532 episodes of um, AFib, each lasting generally more than uh, four hours. So um, at this point, if I catch the COVID, I think I'm toast, you know? And so because of that, I am doing everything I can to get all these videos made to convert all of this into training videos that will get as much as possible out and available to the public um, just in case. And so generally, I'm not answering phones and I try to answer emails 
but I get like 80 emails a day after getting rid of the spam and all that that need to be answered. I can't answer them. So um, I understand. Well, you look great. I really oh, well, appreciate you. you being here today. You look wonderful. You you look like you've been on a health kick and you look great. I so have. yeah, you look fantastic. I'm so trying. thank you so thank much. You. But I would really love to share these methods with you so that yeah. you could I think you would find them quite useful. And I think that maybe you would possibly like to include them in your videos. So just uh, um I'll send you an email me. and if you have time to respond, so be it. Yeah, I keep the emails. I don't delete them. And, uh, you know, every chance I get when I'm not doing something, I'll go in and plow through some emails. So uh, very likely I will answer. I'm just not sure when. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for that, Liz. Um, thanks, Lynn. And I think I... You know, I speak for everyone here. That, you know, we're wishing the best for you. And, and again, thank you for coming along and spending time this evening. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any more hands up in a moment uh, for the people that have just joined, because uh, we've had another 20 or so people join. Um, what we usually do is uh, you can put your hand up using the reactions button if you want to ask a question or if you don't want to speak, uh, feel free to add your question to the text window, uh, the chat window. I have one from Pat that came in just now, Pat McDonald. He asked, I don't think, I, I know the answer to this. Uh, he asked though, has Lynn and Daz compared their remote viewing sessions at the Ark of the Covenant? Because uh, I did it for a Farsight project, but I think I saw one of your sessions on it many years ago, in, uh, maybe yeah. even in the Stargate archives, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, I did a... Um, uh, very lengthy session on its location, okay. not on the Ark of the Covenant itself, and uh, on its location, described its location. I'm not sure. I don't think I've seen yours. What did you get? Uh, to be honest, Lynn, I do so much RV. I <laughs> it all blends into one. I can't. I honestly can't remember. To be honest, I'd have to go back I mean, and look at the yeah. video. I remember that uh, I saw the location as being. Uh, in a an almost cave-like setting. It was one entrance and that was it. Uh, also that there were pagan figures in front of it, protecting it from whoever would come in. Uh, but that the whole thing was pretty well sealed off and uh, just nobody came in. Uh, so it's I got that it was in a highly protected location. Uh, I did, you know, I expanded out. And uh, from what I described of the buildings and all, uh, I'm AOLing that uh, it's in Ethiopia. That would make sense. I do vaguely remember when I looked at it, it was almost scary because there was this this really strong energy power thing that I I felt could be quite destructive. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. definitely. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I think it's probably good that it's uh, hidden away and protected because people would I probably think so. mis misuse it. Yeah. I I didn't try to buy, locate, and touch it. <laughs> <laughs> I know better than that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so I have some more questions from Facebook. Let me read some of these out. Um, Jill Wyant asked, uh, my question would be, why is it that the first remote viewing session that you do is more intense than later in sessions? Uh, because you haven't developed the uh, uh, conflict of your subconscious and your conscious deciding who's going to be in charge. Um, one of the uh, things that we have tracked in database uh, is that generally everyone will have a good session and then it drops off. And uh, what many people, we've got a storm coming up. I'm sorry for the noise. Um, many people will then say, well, that's not working anymore. I'll try something else. Wrong thing to do. <laughs> What you do is you stick with the method you've got. Your conscious and your subconscious mind will battle things out. And once you realize that your conscious mind is not psychic at all, you will tend to say, okay, the viewer is in charge of the session and the viewer is the subconscious. So maybe I'd better listen. And when that happens, your scores come back up. And uh, you will find that as you progress through, uh, through your practice, generally it's plateau learning. And right before you hit the next plateau, there's going to be some kind of conflict. Your scores will drop for a few sessions and then come back up to a higher level of accuracy. And, uh, but you got to stick with it. You know, if you, it's what, called changing horses in midstream. <laughs> if you just flip from one way to another to another, and people who try ARV have this same problem, they flip from one way to do it to another, to another, to another, and they never win the lottery. Um, you get one way, you train your subconscious mind to work in that way, and you'll start having success. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Lynn. And another question from Facebook was from Erica. Um, what's this? Uh, have you ever seen any correlation between side real time and uh, your practice in psychic phenomena? Actually, yes. Um, many, many people believe it's whether you believe in side real time or not. And I, I think it may be a little bit different. Uh, one of the uh, students I had was trying keeping the sidereal time on all of her sessions and it never worked. And uh, one day she said, wait a minute. She was living in San Francisco. She's from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And she said, let's convert the sidereal time from where I was working to where I was born. And there is a perfect match of, of, um, of Spottish Woods findings. So I think for some people, yeah, it matters. For those people who don't care, you don't know. And for those people who disbelieve it, I think they will fight it strongly enough that maybe it doesn't work. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think it definitely needs more research. It does. Yeah, it really does. Excellent. Okay. And the next question comes from Sasha Winter off of Facebook. Um, 
And she asks, uh, what are the ethics of remote viewing future inventions and developing them now, effectively stealing the idea from someone whose life might have been significantly improved if they had been left to come up with the invention themselves later in time? Uh, speaking to someone who's invented a lot of things and have, have had them all stolen from me, uh, I would say that person is going to be really ticked at you if they find out. But uh, yeah, if, if you remote view the future and you find an invention that works, hey, get a patent, <laughs> get the money for it. Yeah, uh, uh, one of the things, uh, I don't know if I have the session here or not. Uh, yeah, okay, here's one. Um, this is, we do a lot of actual work. Instead of getting on the Facebook and arguing back and forth about nitpicky little things, we actually go out and do the work. Uh, so this is one, uh, I don't know if you can see it, uh, a beam of the future. Uh, they were uh, working on a um, plasma device and they couldn't get it to work. It was uh, messing up. So they uh, asked us to remote view it. What we did was we moved mentally moved to the future to a point where it was working and described it at that point. We brought that information back, gave it to them, and they said, oh, that's what makes it work. They tried it and it worked. Uh, we also did that with, uh, uh, we had a moon exploration company who uh, wanted to know um, how to house the people who go up to build the first housing on the moon. I mean, how do you house them if there's no housing? And so um, we had the team simply move to the time when that, when that group is there as they're building the place and describe it. They came back and they described this uh, reflective uh, special plastic that had been spread over a small crater and sealed. The crater was then filled with air and they lived there while they were working to build a habitat on the moon to build the actual uh, uh, buildings for the habitat on the moon. And uh, about four years after that, uh, I was out at JPL, a jet propulsion laboratory, and they, uh, a friend of mine out there said, um, I want to show you a video and of a recent flyby of the moon. And he showed it to me, and I watched, and oh, wait a minute, back up, back up. And there was a crater with a silvery bubble over it. So, you know, so it worked. Uh, but yeah, uh, stealing information from the future. Yeah, that's one thing. Uh, Paul O'Connor over in uh, Ireland, uh, Ireland, yeah. Um, he did a study with an artist where he was going to predict 
the next piece of art that she would paint. Uh, and they moved like a year into the future. So she had no plans, whatever. About a year later, she had forgotten all about this. She decided to make a painting and painted it. And they had described it perfectly. So then she got all upset about it. She said, then how can I say it was my original idea if you thought of it a year before? And she got all bent out of shape over it. And so this is the time loop question in, uh, in remote viewing. Uh, time loops are a very special part of remote viewing and uh, how you work them. This is more training we don't give like in the basic course and all that. <laughs> in the three days, yeah. <laughs> Sasha, you got your hand up. Is there anything you want to add to this? Yeah, I, I was just wondering, I'm the one that posted the question uh, in the Facebook group. And I was wondering about the the ethical considerations or the moral considerations, if there are any, because by taking an invention from someone in the future, then you're affecting their life path because had they come up with it, they would have been rewarded financially, socially, um, yeah. in their career. And so you're affecting, you're, you're effectively stealing in a way that has negative consequences on the potential uh, for their lives. And are remote viewers just okay with that? Or is it just a battle of whoever can, yeah. can kind of hold on to their idea and protect it best? Um, yeah, I think a lot of remote viewers are okay with it. I'm not. Uh, I think it's stealing. I think it's theft. And I think it's a, um, I think it's a, um, an unethical thing. There's also the thing of if you view the future and you view an invention that's already there and you come back and you tell somebody about it and all that, then history will show that it's your invention and you're stealing from yourself. So this is the time loop problem. And the ethics of the time loop can get really complex. But yeah, stealing from other people, um, yeah. Um, but then you look at it, the military applications that we had, we were stealing foreign information, saving lives by doing it. So the ethics get very complex. Uh, but ethics is a very important part of remote viewing. Yeah. I feel like it's often overlooked. I feel like people get so excited yeah. about what they can do that they forget yeah. to think about the longer term implications uh, on that moral code. Right? That's right. And, uh, and I think much more emphasis should be put on ethics and morals of remote viewing than is being put on it. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought this up. It's an important yeah. part. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I think we've had previous discussions on this and I battled with this myself because I've said to people, even when I work for the police on missing persons cases and they asked, you know, they have asked me to track uh, killers and serial killers. I feel conflicted because although I feel that they may have done wrong officially until this proven in a case in a court of law, then they have their right to, you know, their certain rights of freedom. So I'm, I'm very conflicted in, in doing that myself. 
Yeah, and here's a um, here's a thing that we've run into many times. Uh, somebody will write and say, "We have a you know we're looking for a person. We're looking for somebody. They've gone missing, and um, um, the police won't help us. And so, can you help us find this person?" you don't know whether they're looking for that person to kill them and get revenge or save them. And uh, so you may have to do two projects, one on the person who's asking the question and two on what they want to find. And uh, yeah, if somebody, when somebody says uh, the police won't help us, I tell them anytime there's a missing person or a crime, we work through the police only. The police aren't always clean either, but you know, but we work through the police only because uh, for one thing, even if they're trying to help, they may go out and trample a crime scene and destroy evidence that is needed. So we only work with the police in cases like that. Excellent. Thanks for that. Uh, Sasha, did that answer your question or did you have anything else to add? Uh, No, I think that that was good. It's something that I I would like to see incorporated in the training. I I don't know. I've I've only been trained by Paul Elder, um, but I don't think it was sufficiently covered and I'm not hearing from other remote viewers that that's a, a big part of the training and like Lynn said earlier, training, you're trying to teach so much in three or five days. So I understand. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I do think it could be prioritized. Paul took basic with me. I don't know if he took intermediate and above that with anyone else. Um, on my website, I have a list of the certified CRB trainers. And um, all of us use the same manual. If um, if you train with one of us and the schedule for the next class doesn't meet your schedule, look for one of the other certified trainers. Their training will pick up right exactly where the other one left off and using the same manuals, the same terminology and all that. Uh, and so uh, I would uh, I would caution people that it's really best to um, use a certified CRV trainer if you're going into CRV. If you're going into something else, yeah, there are experts in that too. So make sure that they're not just teaching you something they thought up. Make sure they're experts. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for that, Sasha. Um, No one's still got their hands up. I think you guys are being a bit shy this evening, so I'll read some more questions out. Uh, uh, by the way, Paul Elder did very well in class, and I think then he went to the Monroe Institute and uh, and took further training there. I don't know. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Des. That, that's okay. That's okay. The more information, the better. Uh, so, yeah, I got a question from Frank off of Facebook, and he asked, did the Army ever try to detect with the use of remote viewers if psychic spies from the foreign countries had obtained data from targets in the U.S.? Of course we did. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And uh, we also uh, 
tried to find ways to mess up their sessions, uh, to block what, what they were looking for and all that. But yeah, that was, that's a part of this spy versus spy technique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the answer is yes. Excellent. Uh, and the next one's from Russell Roberts. Uh, says, Lynn spoke on one of Laurie's video chats about a session where he met God. Uh, I would like to ask if he could expand on that session. He stated, God said to him, I can give you what I can give through you. If you remember that one. Yeah, I was um, tasked at one point with um, God, you know, and uh, I got myself in a dark, empty space. There was a light coming down on me. And uh, I had no idea what the target was, but I said, you know, who's there? And uh, I didn't get a voice. I just started getting impressions. And, uh, and I said, well, what will you give me? You know, I'm meaning information. What will you give me? And the answer was, I'll give anything through you, but not to you. And I came out of session. That was it. That's fantastic. And, you know, of course, that's one of those woo ones that we don't really have much feedback on. But yeah, when we, yeah, all, there, we were, like there, were, there are no pictures involved. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. feedback pictures. In that <laughs> yeah. that would, believe me, that would upset quite a few students that I know. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Tom's got another question again, if you want to. Go for it, Don. It meant a lot to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> uh, this regards um, sketching. I was just having a conversation with another colleague about uh, sketching uh, going into S3. And um, I think we are both sort of like, you know, having issues with sketching. And um, I'm sure everybody starts at the beginning. You know, it's sort of uh, terrible and whatever. But uh, I guess my question is, I seem to be getting edges, um, not so much relationships so much, but is that where everybody starts with like just getting like edges or, you know, curves and whatever? And really, yeah. you're not really sure how it assembles or, you know, how it all comes together, but, you know, this from here and that from there. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you say, oh, there's something round. So you just draw something round. And, uh, and there's a way that you can touch it then. One of the things you have to uh, realize is that the subconscious mind talks to the body and the body talks to the subconscious mind. And that's where the ideograms come in. That's where the sketching comes in. That's where a lot of the even more advanced things come in. But um, if you touch that that curve you just drew and ask colors smells taste textures and all that you will start using that the same way you use the ideogram and you'll start getting information about that point then if you remember that once you start that stage three sketch the entire page becomes a part of that sketch, even up where you've written other stuff before. 
and you can go over here and touch things and touch here, touch there, touch there. You touch someplace else and you get, oh, there's water. <laughs> you touch someplace else. And in fact, you may touch someplace and automatically make an ideogram. And so that's the way you get the relationships. You don't actually get the relationship usually that it's to the left or something. You feel your way around that map. Excuse me, they're shooting rockets off at the base. Um, so you feel your way around the map. And as you do, you're touching it like you would touch an ideogram. And uh, then you uh, keep touching until you find something. Where you find something, draw a number, okay? Number. And then at number four, you come over here and do your stage, uh, like in stage two, you do your descriptors and you label that number two. You go back and you feel around and all that until you feel something else, label that number three, come over and describe it and so on. And as you do that, the relationships will develop all by themselves. Oh, so, okay, let me see if I got this right. So you're yeah. saying the first perceptions that I get and I put down on the paper, maybe a few angles or something like that. Yeah. Then you, yeah. you can touch that, you can probe that, but you can also probe and touch the space around that. Is that what you said? Anywhere on the whole page, yeah. Anywhere, uh -huh. okay, okay. Yeah. And then you might pick up something else there. You can sketch that. You're, and then the relationships, they sort of just produce themselves, really. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, that, I hope that helped, yeah. <laughs> Excellent, that was great information there. Uh, Kamal Kazi, you've had your hand up for a while. Do you want to go next? Or is he? Yeah. He's there. Um, so, so first off, sir, I'd like to thank you for your contributions to the field so far. Um, as someone who's pretty much been in RV since its inception, I was wondering if uh, I could get your opinion on what you feel like the biggest innovation has been in all this time that you've been in the field. The biggest, the biggest what? Uh, the biggest innovation, like oh, any, if anything has changed for the better, any uh, guess? Yeah, when it, uh, when Ingo did it, he was studying remote viewing, okay? And he was developing the method. When he turned it over to the military, we found that, um, for instance, um, looking for a, missing soldier uh, you didn't have the coordinates for the missing soldier <laughs> if you did you wouldn't need a remote viewer and so that's when they said well let's just make up some coordinates and so they got the uh, the uh, method of just using using random coordinates or using a uh, encrypted coordinate or something like that uh, and so there were changes there in order to take it out of Ingo's basement and use it in the military and actual operations. Once it came into the civilian arena, oh, 
you talk about the changes that had to be made, um, many changes. Now, what we do is anybody who comes up with a new change, an improvement, listen, in the military, we came up with thousands of improvements that didn't work. <laughs> I mean, just flat didn't work. And so when somebody now comes up with an improvement, we say, good, keep data on it, try it over and over, see if it works, prove that it works, show me your data. And if they can show the data and show the proper use for it, then we incorporate it. Um, uh, there are things like uh, um, investment, okay? Investment um, where there, uh, where an investor has an amount of money and has a thousand different stocks he could buy. Which one does he buy? And you ask the remote viewer, tell me the one and all of those thousands that's going to be profitable. Uh, yeah, that's where you have to have some different things that we didn't have in the military and all that. So there have been innovations, but we require that the innovations, uh, let, me, let me show you something here. Uh, can I share a screen? Yeah, yeah, it should be free for you to do that. Okay, share. Um, this is some of my artwork. Ignore that. Uh, okay. Uh, graph. Come on. Okay. Uh, we we separate things uh, in sessions by these categories because these categories are what fits the most customers' uh, interests in the civilian arena. Now, for the military, we would have a different set, but uh, alignment and biologicals and so on, you know. Uh, and so we track a viewer by uh, this viewer here. They get this many ambiance correct, this many incorrect. Um, this one gets colors right. They don't get objects. They don't get meanings and all that. And so we find for that viewer that uh, if we want to know the right color, hey, ask this viewer. If we want to know the right texture, ask this viewer. If we want to know um, uh, the composition of something, they're 50-50. And find another viewer. Okay. Um, along that same line, let me uh, bring this one up. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's supposed to be blanked out. Uh, sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, this viewer here. Uh, let's say we want to, uh, somebody has a material, they want to find out what it is. Uh, the material that's best for an invention they have or something like that. Or there's a, an object and they don't know what it's made out of. Look at this. Um, this viewer here, uh, ambiance 108, 
right, 22 wrong. She's very good at this. Biologicals, 38 right, 13 wrong. Uh, one third of the time she's, one fourth of the time she's wrong. Uh, composition, 236 times and 82 uh, wrong. Hey, this is a good person to figure composition. So then let's say we want them to figure composition and tell us about the texture of it. Okay. 228. Uh, can you see my cursor? Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. 228 correct, 85 wrong. And uh, yeah, they're good at the textures. Temperatures, 99 to 11. Oh, yeah. Perfect. So this person would be the uh, correct person to task for finding the composition. Look at this. Um, uh, motions, 129 right, 111 wrong. Hey, if I want to find the motion of something else, I'll go to another viewer. By doing this, we can take viewers who have an average of their own of 70 or 80% accuracy by tasking them toward their strengths only, we can come up with a final project accuracy of in the 90%. And so uh, we database everything. I mean, I am a, I am a database freak. <laughs> uh, when, it, when it comes to databasing, you know, I, I get on my pulpit, bang the Bible and preach it. Um, so, how do I stop sharing? This is more of my artwork. I'm sorry. Uh, stop share. Okay, good. Does that answer you, Kamikaze? Do you want to ask anything else, or are you good on that one? Uh, Did that answer your question? Really... Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. can't really think of any other questions. Uh, just thank you for all of your contributions. We honestly, we we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for viewers like you. So thank you. Well, I hope we keep advancing. I, I feel like we're still in kindergarten. Uh, I mean, like I say, we're studying the human mind. We're in kindergarten here. <laughs> I agree with you. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Uh, and next with our hands up here is Erica, if you'd like to go next. Thank you for uh, very much for this opportunity. Uh, my question would be about um, perceiving humans and the difference of uh, perceiving humans and animals. It might sound odd. The, what I noticed is that um, on occasionally good sessions, um, the way I perceived uh, that in the picture there are some people, I would actually perceive their gaze as to where they would be looking at. If uh, there was a tower or direction, I could I could actually perceive like what direction they would be looking at. It would be like their eyes would be like a beam of light, like a flashlight going somewhere. Now, and I, I was when I was working on the cases where there were animals, um, I didn't. I don't know. I probably would like to ask Lynn um, how what was his experience and how he would differentiate between. Um, 
how to perceive how the people were perceived in remote sessions and how animals, um, other biological entities were perceived. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm asking the wrong question, but um, that kind of, I was a bit puzzled why I was able to perceive humans in a specific way. And I was wondering, so how should I perceive animals? You know, thank uh, you. Well, yeah, first of all, uh, if you're perceiving what they see, you're perceiving their surroundings, not the person. Okay. And so uh, don't get distracted if your task is to perceive the person. Uh, personally, I, you know, all the encrypted coordinates I get, uh, all the coordinates I get are encrypted. And uh, personally, I have never felt the need to distinguish between whether they're human or animal or alien or what. And, uh, and I describe them. What they are will come out in the description. But then they have feelings. Uh, you know, they have intentions, they have thoughts. And so, uh, I mean, if you're, you know, if your target is a grasshopper, its thoughts are going to be quite a bit different from a human. Um, humans, uh, their thoughts tend to be what they're looking at. And so I think it's very natural that when you see a human, you're going to see what they're looking at because that's their thoughts. But if your target is to describe the person and their health and all that, you may want to back off of what they're looking at and start working on them instead. Now, um, you know, there are times when you say, yeah, uh, access somebody at the site and see what they're seeing. That's where you want to know what they're looking at. Yeah. So um, um, I don't know if that helped or not, but um, if you tend to automatically go to what they're looking at, that's probably an indication that you're in a human instead of an animal. And uh, that's good information. You write down human and you keep going. And, uh, but then you may want to back off if what they're looking at is not what you're there to view. Okay, thank you very much for this advice and explanation. Uh, I was just practicing the free targets available. So I never knew yeah. what was on the other side. So I was just whatever I was drawing, I concluded that uh, one target after another, I noticed that there are specific ways how I see people. So I started wondering. So oh, thank you very much for this advice. Yeah, the fact that you're noting, noticing that, uh, keep noticing everything about your sessions because they will tell you about yourself and your viewing. Yeah, good thing. And I hope that answered that question. I... Yeah, it did. Thank you very much. Okay. Excellent. Uh, we have got no hands up for a second, so I'll ask some more of the Facebook questions. Um, from Frank again, um, Lynn has spoke before on the population, or at least in the States, not sure about the rest of the world, and that it would decline by a lot in the coming years. He also noted that it was a man-made created event. Does he think it may have anything to do with the recent vaccinations? 
Uh, I think the recent vaccinations have everything to do with it. Yes. Um, uh, back in 1998, I was tasked to predict the uh, situation of the United States uh, up through 2050. And uh, I dug that session out not long ago, and it kind of scared me because everything in that session is coming true. Uh, so what I found was that beginning in the year 2020, it said so in that session, beginning in the year 2020, a series of man-made natural disasters would start that would last for about 20 years. And by the end of the 20 years, by 2040, 75% of the world's population would be wiped out. Now, uh, after that, I went on up to 2050. And after that, I found out that um, people were uh, isolated. Even still, people were isolated. All of their communications was through technology. Uh, the internet and all that. Uh, they were growing their own food. The cities had basically just emptied out because they were no longer useful. And uh, and uh, that um, the people were self-sufficient. The government was pretty well wiped out as well. And now then the government was for the people not for the politicians, uh, and that from 2040 to 2050, which is where I had the cutoff, for the survivors, everything got better and better and better. For the 75% that was killed off, you know, uh, but anyway, that's what I got. And uh, uh, I'm seeing now you know, uh, schools emptying out, stores emptying out, uh, stores closing, uh, seeing people being separated, talking only through technology like we're doing here, and uh, communicating with relatives that way rather than going to visit them. Uh, I saw definite what seemed like plagues um, and so on. But um, anyway, that's what I got. Mm. And uh, I hope I'm wrong in a lot of it. Yeah. I haven't been so far. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty. Yeah, I don't want to be doc. I don't want to be do another Dr. Doom. Yeah, no. Well, you know, if we got the data, that's what I got. got. Yeah, if yeah. we got it, we got to share it and we can't censor it. Yeah. 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 So thanks a lot, Lynn. Uh, Rich has had his hand up for a while now. Do you want to go for it, Rich? Uh, sure. Thanks, Des. And hi, Lynn. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to uh, Sasha's uh, question or not so much her question, but uh, what you said uh, after that uh, with time loops. And I was just curious what your idea was on, uh, how can I put this? I guess when I think of remote viewing, the future aspect, like the plasma 
uh, project that you were talking about. You remote viewed a point in time in which that worked and then described it, and then they were able to get it to work. Right. So obviously that kind of goes back to the whole idea of if your future self comes back in time and gives you the plans for a time machine, where did the original plans come from? Um, since right. then you would have had them and then you're not thinking about it to create it. <laughs> so it kind of creates a, what I'm assuming <laughs> yeah. you meant by time loop. So I was just interested to kind of hear your philosophical, theoretical uh, ideas on that, if you have any. Okay. Um there are a lot of uh, paradoxes when you get to time loops, um, but time loops can be usable. Uh, in fact, ARV, if y'all are familiar with ARV, uh, I know Marty says you view the target and all that. You don't. In ARV, what you do is you set up a thing that will be permanent, that will happen in time. So the first ball on the pick three lottery tonight comes up a five. And you have set up a chart that says, if the ball is one, I'm going to taste some vanilla. If it's two, I'm going to taste some chocolate. If it's three, I'm going to taste some vinegar. If it's four, I'm going to taste uh, salt. If it's five, I'm going to taste uh, Coke, you know, Coca-Cola, whatever. And so at 7.30, they draw the first ball on the pick three lottery and it comes up a um, a two, okay? One hour after that, you give the viewer some chocolate because that's what you set up on your chart. Okay. Now... The viewer says, the viewer is not tasked with the lottery at all. The viewer doesn't even know they're working the lottery. But the viewer says, at 8.30 tonight, what do I taste? Mm, I taste chocolate. He reports that, and the person who is tasking him knows what number to bet on. Okay. And that's the whole procedure for ARV. It doesn't have to be taste. Uh, you know, this chart that showed people's strengths and weaknesses. Yes. If they're strong in sounds, hey, give them a sound. If they're strong in colors, give them a color as feedback. But in ARV, you're making a time loop. You're saying, okay, move to 830 tonight. What do I, in this case, taste? Hmm. I taste Coca-Cola. Okay. Tell me that. I bet on a five because I know the five is going to come up. Mm. Okay. And then you go forward. You provide the feedback because it has to be there. If not, they won't taste anything. And you move on up from that. You've done a single time loop and out the other side. Okay. Now the time loops that repeat where the result of the time loop depends on the input that's going to repeat and repeat and repeat. And those get extremely paradoxical. Uh, <laughs> and that's a, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Time loops are fascinating. They really are. 
They are. I like the reason I'm fascinated by remote viewing is because it just seems like it's another tool, an innate tool that we have to probe how reality works. And by experimenting in that way and seeing how certain things like that work, I think it can tell us quite a bit. But one time, uh, one time I was talking to Ingo and I was talking about time and I mentioned, you know, having learned remote viewing, I learned that time is not anything at all like we learned in school. First of all, it's not, it's not um, single direction past the future and all that. That time is not what we learned in school. And he said, wait until you find out the truth about space. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that one. <laughs> we all are yeah <laughs> thank you i'm sorry i have a i have a direct follow-up i was wondering if i could ask before the conversation moves yeah green uh-huh yeah yeah i thank was all done green, so that's by the way if y'all have a if y'all haven't watched grin's pictures on the uh sessions that he does watch them they're extremely good uh go ahead i'm sorry green that's very kind. <laughs> um, the, you distracted me for a second there. Um, my question is, so you, you just said that you're, you're in ARV, you're setting it up so that something, you know, definitely happens. You're going you're to give yourself the feedback. And, and unless the, the associated event took place, you wouldn't have had that flavor. So you wouldn't remote view it. Or, and, but on the other hand, no, I, no? Unless, okay. unless the feedback takes place. Unless the feedback well, takes place, yeah, right. Uh, but the but the I'm wondering if this conflicts a little bit with something else when we're talking about timey wimey things because in if I understand before you've given the example of paradoxes where let's say you remote view the location of a criminal at a certain time and you provide that information to the police and then the police go and apprehend that person and they're never at that place at that certain time. Um, right. In that case, in that case, the feedback doesn't take place, but the remote viewing is still effective as to the original intent of the tasking. Right. And so, how does and, how does that differ from the feedback being required for ARV to work? Because it would seem like you wouldn't need yeah. the feedback for ARV to work in that case if the if the if the case of the criminal being caught early is possible, then you wouldn't actually need to provide the feedback. You would only need to correctly predict the event. And then you could just go party instead of feeding yourself the thing. Right. But the, uh, the problem is that the difference is in ARV, you view your feedback, not the target. Okay. And you set it up so that come hell or high water, that feedback will be there. You set up that situation. Now, in things like um, the police, we have an analogy of the arrest at Joe's Bar and Grill, where you say at nine o'clock, they say, where will the criminal be at nine o'clock? You say Joe's Bar and Grill eating dinner. At 8.30, they hide in the bushes. He walks up, they arrest him at nine o'clock. He's in jail. You were wrong. You did not set up a firm and definite future event. So what you were viewing is the future as it was the moment you viewed the target. 
the future can change. And this is one of the things that we find out about prediction, uh, predictive targets when you're remote viewing, not ARV, but when you're doing regular remote viewing, is that uh, uh, the future will change. And it's not that much different from the weatherman saying, tomorrow the sun will shine. And the next morning, the weatherman comes up and says, there's no sun today, you know, because changes took place. And so he's predicting the weather as it appears on his radar and all that, as the way it appears it's going to be. And um, with changeable futures, you face this thing. If, um, if I predict that... Um, next month a certain thing will happen and especially if i tell somebody about it who is capable of changing that future then i'm going to have to do updates all along the way to see every time the future changes uh, so this is the difference arv you make that hard and fast come hell or high water feedback and you make sure it happens and that gives the viewer more accuracy. And just predicting the future in regular remote viewing, yeah, the future's gonna change, yeah. Okay, I think I get what you're saying. I'd still be curious to see a real comparison of, of feedbackless ARV um, versus uh, ARV with feedback. Oh, that's been um, done. And the uh, the, without that firm and hard feedback, it pretty well drops to chance. I've seen a lot of ARV drop to chance either way. I'm, I'm, I'm still picking my way through John and Deborah's new book, um, by the way that uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have come across it, but uh, um, John and Deborah have a new book on ARV that's out electronically at a good price, or if you're in Kindle Unlimited, it's, it's a, uh, it's part of the subscription for right now. And, and um, I'll have to look into it to see if it addresses any of that concern about the effect of feedback or no feedback in ARV, but thank you for the, for talking to me yeah. about it. Thank I you. haven't read, I haven't read their book yet. I don't know if I'll have time to do that, but, uh, but from everything we found, um, having the hard and definite feedback gives a hard, stable, future event that can be viewed with higher accuracy. Perfect. Thank you, sir. I hope that helps. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, Nate, you've had your hand up for a while now. Do you want to go next? Yes. Uh, thank you, Daz. Um, hi, Lynn. It's such a pleasure to be on this call. And uh, thank you ever so much for your time. I just wondered, because I'm very new to remote viewing, are there any known limitations to remote viewing? And is it actually possible to interact with objects or in actual fact transport them from the remote location? I think I read somewhere that Ingo Swan may have alluded to, to something similar to that. Uh, the, okay. Um, yes, you can. Um, there were about three questions in there. I forget the first one. <clears throat> yes, you can. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 
yes, you can interact with objects. Uh, wait until you do a mind probe of a rock. Uh, that's an experience, uh, very slow session. But uh, uh, yeah, you can. And uh, as far as transporting those back, that is called apportment. Not transportment, but apportment. Apportment is where you transport it with your mind. Teleport is where you transfer it with electronics and all that. But apportment. And um, the apportment of objects, the Chinese have studied this very strongly and have had the most success with it. Um, the rest of the world has not had that much success with it. I will say, however, there was one time when Mel Riley uh, was given the task of, um, I think it was Chickamauga, Chickamauga, the uh, bloodiest battle of uh, the Civil War in the US. And uh, he came out of his session and he had a spot of blood on his shirt. And they looked, he wasn't bleeding. But in that session, he had bilocated and had been dealing with some of the people who had been shot and maimed and killed and were bleeding all over the place. And when he came out of that session, he had a spot of blood on his shirt. Now, uh, the, the idea of intentionally going in and going to the vault in Fort Knox and bringing back an armful of gold bricks, uh, that may not happen when you're in the basic course <laughs> <laughs> or in the intermediate or in the advanced, <laughs> you know, uh, but is it possible? Theoretically and from instances that we've heard of, yeah, I think it is. I, wow. I really, it's never happened to me, but uh, if Talk it starts happening to me, <laughs> Fort Knox, lock your doors. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you ever so much for that then. Thank you. And God bless okay. you. Thank you. That's a great question, Nate. Uh, Don, you're up again next. Okay. This one is about um, psychic defense. And let me sort of like uh, try to set this up a little bit. I recently had a remote viewing session. It was the Tunguska event where I experienced a physical manifestation of heat, flop sweat. Uh, I thought I got COVID virus. I stopped my session and uh, the manifestations went away. Uh, at that moment, or you know, after thinking about this for a while, I realized there's more to remote viewing than just simply, you know, writing stuff down and whatever. There's actually things yeah. that can happen. Yeah. Right. So um, this introduces the notion of, um, I don't know what you would call it, psychic defense or something like that, uh, an awareness. Uh, um, and uh, well, I guess, first of all, have you, have you experienced this and do you have any comments about it? Oh yeah, uh, I've experienced it many times. Uh, getting, uh, getting sick, getting dizzy when the person being, uh, uh, when that's a, uh, an effect of the person being targeted, uh, 
one time I was told, I'm blue-eyed, one time I was told that um, in this in this session I had done the perfect side integration and uh, contacted Saddam Hussein. And I was told that during the session, my eyes turned brown, my, you know, eyes turned brown. Wow. Um, we had uh, one student here, poor guy. Uh, he's, he's very prone to uh, vertigo. And uh, just, by just by chance, I had to stack a target this big and told him to pick one out of the middle, turn it face down so he didn't know what it was. It was a link trainer. Do you know what that is? No. A link trainer is that uh, plane cabin that sets up on a post in the training area and the pilot gets in there to train and that thing goes like this according to how he's flying the plane. And, uh, and so, uh, you're, you're talking about something on a flexible pole that moves around yeah. as you're flying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's okay. a, it's a trainer for pilots so that you don't get them up in a, if they crash, it's not going to crash into something, you know? And, uh, so he started off working this target and kept getting dizzier and dizzier. And he finally <laughs> fell out of the chair. <laughs> I mean, poor guy, you know, and uh, I didn't know what it was either because I didn't look at the target. And so when he fell out of the chair, I picked up the target and looked at it and said, oh, end your session. End your session. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've had uh, we've had many people. And by the way, on that last that uh, Grin was talking about, we have had one class here where there was a portment um one of the viewers was male young male and the rest of the students were elderly women and uh the target was a sailboat and he was aoling uh madonna's bra <laughs> <laughs> and you know, from the sales. And he had that strong AOL. He couldn't get, he couldn't get rid of it. And uh, I said, write it down. Well, he didn't want to write it down. And all of a sudden there was this loud bang and a rock appeared right in the middle of our table, just a little pebble, but it shook everybody out of the session and we quit. But that one uh, incident of apportment did happen in one of my classes. All right. So have you, all right, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, where to go with this. Have you ever started talking to anybody in the middle of a session? I mean, you actually encountered an intelligence and intellect or something that started communicating with you uh, mentally. Oh yeah. All the time. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that was one of my that was one of my strengths, and that's one of the things I got tasked to do a lot in the unit. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, uh, do you feel that you need to defend yourself in this situation, or is this like a perfectly natural thing, and it is no issue? Well, we take this up in the medical apps apps course uh, defense, 
you know, self-defense for the viewer. And uh, I had learned those tools, those defense tools. And so when I am in conversation with a person, um, I mentally make sure I'm standing off away from that person, talking to them. I'm not getting into their head. I'm not getting, you know, now my subconscious is talking to their subconscious. So I'm not getting the lies they would tend to tell me if we were conversing. But, um, but yeah, I, I stand off. I observe. I do not uh, identify with that person. So if you encounter someone, you, you intend mentally that you want to stand back? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. When, so you don't want to blend with them or you don't want to. Right. When, uh, when you're in stage four, you go into the um, uh, SI column, what, uh, what Ingo calls the EI column. And the EI column is a two-way street, very definitely a two-way street. I mean, it is designed for mental telepathy. Uh, most people don't teach that either. But um, yeah, in that column, you can put yourself at a target just distant from the person you're, you're viewing, you're targeted to view, and you can start holding the conversation. And it's definitely a two-way street. Mm. Okay. So um, aside from that heat that I experienced, um, you're saying that oh. you can, you, you, go ahead. Yeah. That heat you experienced is just the fact that your subconscious talks to your body. Uh, and also that there's this energy that's stored in the matrix or whatever you want to call it, that, that my yeah. subconscious perceived, right? That's okay. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, um, is there, is there anything else I don't know? In uh, terms of like, you know, experiencing unfamiliar things, um, you might uh, have some. Probably, probably a lot, but I'm right there with you. There's probably a lot I don't know, too. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, we can end like it I there say, then. Like I say, we're in kindergarten here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Don, for sharing that one. Um, up next is uh, Russell Roberts. You had your hand up for a while. Hi, Lynn. Pleasure uh, finally to speak with you. Hey, I had a question about shadow people. Have you had any experience with shadow people? And I had a second question. When Have you ever talked to this or communicated with the subconscious of an alien being? And if you could explain that, if that's different than humans. Okay, uh, that's two questions. And let me get the first one first. Um, shadow people, yes. Uh, in many of our classes here, we would have shadow people show up. Uh, one time, the viewer was stalled, and usually when the viewer stalls, I'll jump in and get them started in their session again. This time, there was one of these shadow people there, and I didn't because I was wanting to see what was going to happen with that. And very, very subtly, 
I heard this shadow person talking and I realized it wasn't in English. I realized that I had heard that pattern of speech before. That pattern of speech was that of a history teacher. And in such and such a time, this happened. And in such and such a time, this happened, that pattern. And so my AOL at that point was that evidently there was somebody in that class who might wind up being a historical person. That's my AOL. And my further AOL is that it wasn't me or else they would show up every class. And they didn't, uh, just rare few classes, they would show up. And um, many of those classes, there was an important person in that class. So that's, that's my AOL, that's my way to resolve that instance of the shadow people. Uh, the second one for aliens, yeah, like I say, I uh, I don't treat a humans, animals, aliens any different. Uh, uh, they all think, they all have bodies, they all have, you know, whether that body's, body is physical, energy body or whatever, they're still there. Um, and so, um, I just use the tools that we use to analyze and get information from people and we get it. Uh, now, one of the things about it is that, um, there are certain, okay. One of the features of strict CRV is you can't get caught. Uh, uh, if you do what um, out-of-body experience, you can be seen at the target, you can be picked up at the target. Uh, if you do regular psychic work and a uh, guard is walking around a secure facility with a guard dog, the guard dog may suddenly alert like this and that gets reported. With CRV, you can't be detected. However, there are certain of the ETs that can detect you even when you're strongly using pure CRV. Uh, I was uh, tasked with the, uh, the uh, ET facility in uh, Northern Australia, Hayes Mountain, not Hayes Mountain, uh, Zeal Mountain. And uh, Hayes Mountain is up in Australia. They have another one there. Uh, but uh, I was tasked with that. I wound up being there and had the bilocation. And all of a sudden, they just let me know. We know you're here. It's okay. Look around. And so I did. Now, that same thing happened to Pat Price when he viewed that same place. Scared him, and he never went back. Uh, for me, they said, we know you're here. Look around. It's okay. I said, sure. Hey, I got a free pass here. So I did. And I reported what, what was there. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I find it's no different viewing aliens than, uh, than humans. The thought patterns will be different. The uh, 
the logic will be different and you just have to go with the flow on that. All right, thank you very much. I hope that helped, yeah. Uh, Des, could I just ask a follow on? Yeah, yeah go for it. Um, getting back to the shadow people, um, Lynn, uh, I'm trying to understand what you said there about um, you thought you were hearing like history, like someone was talking about some history um, and that clued you to the notion that there was someone in the class that would have historical significance, if I'm getting this right, that would have uh, historic. That, that made me logically AOL the reason for a history teacher coming to my class, that evidently there was somebody important there. And they were studying be, them. And they were studying them, going like into the past to study this person. Is that the notion? That is my AOL. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's what I, wow. Yeah. I don't have any proof of that, but that's, that's the reasoning I use as for why a shadow person would be using the same lecture pattern as a history teacher. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for that guys. Great stuff. And, uh, Looks like Monica's up next. You have a question, Monica? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. All right, great. Um, I wanted to know if there is a simple technique to keep from remote viewing if you don't want to remote view something. Because uh, I've had people ask me for stuff and I didn't want to do the, the task and I would go there anyway. Oh. Uh, uh, you have found one of the sticky parts of remote viewing. Once your subconscious realizes that somebody's listening to it, finally, it wants to talk. And once your subconscious realizes that uh, you have given it the authority to talk, it's going to talk, okay? So at that point, what you have to do is also teach it responsibility. And this is part of the training of remote viewing in not only CRV, but it's, it's many uh, incarnations, is uh, training it to be there on call. And at other times, your subconscious can talk to you any way it wants. But uh, uh, your subconscious can zoom back and forth through time all at once. It can tell you, you know, you step off a curb, it can tell you, even though you don't know it, is there's a car coming and you'll step back. Uh, it'll make you dodge before something flies by. Uh, even though you have no visual or, or other sensory impression of it, uh, your subconscious will save you in many instances um, by giving you a scary feeling and all that. And letting it talk is one thing. When you go into teaching it how to get information for you, that's where you teach it responsibility. And that's where training comes in. But yeah, hey, you have let the cat out of the bag. I see, I see the cat on your 
your picture here. You've let the cat out of the bag. And uh, once you get your subconscious talking, it's not going to shut up. It won't. One of the situations I had was a lady called me up. She was in my yoga class and she wanted me to remote view. A couple of kids had been missing. She wanted me to find them. And I said, are they your children? And she said, no, your friend's children. She says, no. I says, I don't do that type of thing. And uh, she got mad and uh, we, we hung up the phones. And I'm, I'm in my yoga studio and lights are on and everything. And the next thing you know, my eyes are not closed and I'm seeing a dark parking lot. I'm in this guy's head and his mind was not working right. And he was looking at this little girl, this little girl and little boy. And every time he looked at her, it was like an electro zap or something in my head. And, uh, it happened several times and I get disoriented every time that happened and I couldn't think. And next thing I knew, a silver mind control technique, which I had practiced, got me out of it. I was just automatically sort of like a wipe on, wipe off with the karate kid thing. It just automatically got me. And I was very thankful because I thought I was going to be stuck in this guy, this mentally deranged man's head. Yeah. So there's any way to prevent one thing you may not be separated from it completely still um, but also um, when you get something like that and your subconscious says well I'm going to answer that question anyway and you wind up experiencing it this is one of the negatives of remote viewing uh, you get emotionally involved with a target you can work your way out of that and you can get, you know, you see um, people say, I want a remote view so I can bring home missing kids. And I'm quick to tell them, you know, you're going to see a lot of violence. You're going to see a lot of kids getting raped, murdered, killed, dismembered, things like that. Are you really ready to do this? for the amount of kids you can bring home. And some people will say, no, I'm not. And uh, other people will say, yes, the kids I bring home are gonna be worth it. And, uh, and the thing is that after you're exposed to that, we have ways of getting rid of the impact, the emotional impact it has on you, but you never get rid of the memory of it you have that memory as an experience of your life from then on. And uh, this is one of the negative aspects of remote viewing. Uh, and it's something that everybody needs to know before they get into it. That's true. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for that, Monica. Uh, just for a, a minute or so, Lynn, if I can just... Uh, get john knowles in here he, he recently just joined he's uh he's got the new book out i wonder if he can do a quick one minute promo for his, his new arv book while he's here uh, uh there okay. put you on the spot there a bit john am i there am i there, there okay well i don't want to interrupt lynn buchanan so but 
No. Uh, 30 seconds. Okay, so Deborah and I have worked 16 months on a book on associative remote viewing. Uh, we've done a lot of study of the history and the theory, uh, also the practice. We have 20 contributors, some of whom are here, and some of whose work is not uh, known yet. Uh, there's results in financials, lottery, horse racing, sports, you name it. Uh, everything that people have been trying is in there. A few people declined to be in. That's fine. Um, hopefully their books will come out soon. That's my 30 seconds. Thank you, Daz. Excellent. Okay. It's a great book. So yeah, everyone should give it a look, especially if you're into the ARV side of this. Excellent, guys. Uh, so next up, we have Lisa. Lisa Jean had her hands up for a while there. Hi there, Lynn. It's great to see you. And um, you. yeah, I uh, and thank you, Daz, for doing this. I have a question again about um, pendulum ARV, as you know, I'm, I'm very focused on like changing my future and getting through the next 20 years, whatever that may bring, but using ARV as that tool. You mentioned to me once before about ARV and how to do it when you put your left arm down and your right hand over, but I don't think I got it down. Can you just remind me what that process oh. is? Oh, okay. Oh, let me get a prop here. No, I can't get a prop. Anyway, um, one of the ways that we have found for doing the dowsing. Uh, I've seen people hold a pendulum up and they're going like this and they're saying, it's the pendulum moving. No, it's not. It's your hand moving. <laughs> and I mean, I've seen some of them, it looks like they're roping cattle, man. You know, and uh, one of the things that we've found is that if it's your subconscious that you want to remove, that to have it move the pendulum, Take your conscious mind out of it, okay? And so one of the things we do is, here's the, here's the table. You put your arm right on the table. You put your other arm over it, and you've got an extremely short uh, line between that and the pendulum. And then you do everything you can possibly consciously to hold your hand perfectly still and not let the pendulum move at all. You try hard to keep the pendulum from moving. What's gonna happen is that opens it up totally to your subconscious. Your subconscious is gonna move the pendulum and the pendulum will move by on its own. And my arm is and on this arm, right? So this arm is on that arm and that arm is on the table. Just rest one arm on the other, yeah. Okay. And right if you do it that way, the swing is very, small okay definitely <laughs> one of the things i use is a glass marble big uh, that's clear because it acts as a magnifying glass and any motion gets magnified so i can see better which way it's moving but um yeah i have found this way to be uh for me at least gives me much more accuracy in the pendulum work I'll give it a try. Thanks so much. And um, because you shared with us what you were kind of going through health-wise, do I have your permission to send some Reiki vibes your way? <laughs> I'll take any help I can get. You betcha. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks for that one. Um, next up is Linda. You've had your hand up. It's Linda there. 
Okay. Sorry, well, I was wait. speaking without the, the microphone yeah. on. Sorry if this question has always already been put. Um, I joined late. Uh, my question is about the subconscious being creative in the sense of that uh, I'm wondering how to wrap my, my thoughts around that. If we have an assumption about reality, a subconscious uh, assumption and the idea that this will show up in our reality how does this how how can i view remote viewing in this perspective without thinking that i will just receive what i have in my subconscious that's what you want to do uh your subconscious yes um like in uh uh, ninja training, okay? In ninja training, when you reach the, like the eighth black belt level, one of the things they do, I got this from one of my students who is an eighth level black belt ninja. Uh, they had him kneel in a hallway with people walking by all the time with his eyes closed and he knelt in that hallway he was to kneel for up to eight hours. He did not know when one of the masters was going to come by and swing a sword at him. But when it happened, he had to duck because the sword was real. It was, you know, it was sharp and all that. And uh, I mean, they don't mess around at that level. And, uh, and so he had the awareness of 360 degrees around him with his eyes shut and all that. The fact is that we all have that capability. We just haven't learned how to use it. And so you say the subconscious is created. No, the subconscious was there before we were. Uh, no, it's, creative, subconscious. Oh, creative. creative, yes. Yeah, so that it, what I believe in my innermost will that's what i will perceive so if i perceive i will see that target then i will if i i think i'm not capable of that i won't actually the information is there you have to turn the session and the viewing over to your subconscious what happens with almost everyone they'll say oh uh, i don't know what the target is but it's red it's round, it has a rubbery feel. Oh, I know, it's a ball. And from then on, man, they're playing a ball game. And their conscious mind seizes the opportunity to name it instead of just continuing to get impressions from the subconscious. One of the rules that Ingo had was describe, don't identify. Uh, we have an analogy Ug and Og are walking through the primeval forest. They're two cavemen. <clears throat> a twig snaps behind them. Ug says, saber-toothed tiger, and starts running. Og says, uh, what's that? And turns around and looks. Guess whose descendants we are? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so from the earliest caveman, being able to identify has been has meant survival and it's bred into our genes 
And now then all of a sudden these crazy remote viewers come along and say, Oh, don't do that. <laughs> Stop doing that. You know? And, yeah. uh, and so the fact is that um, if you want to get to the target, you have to get your conscious mind out of it. Your conscious mind stays as a reporter for what it's being told. And once you actually learn to do that, you're going to do some good remote viewing. Okay. So it's independent from me. The target is there without, it's not me being projecting it out there. It That's is right. there. It okay. is there. Yeah. Yeah. It is there right. and you are aware of it at a okay. deep subconscious level. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much, Lenny. So your conscious mind is not viewing the target. Your conscious mind is listening and writing stuff down. It's taking dictation. That's all it's doing. Yeah. yeah okay. Excellent. Thanks for that. And next up is Richard. Hi there, Rich. Hi, Daz. Hi, hi Lynn. Long time no hey. see. Yeah. Um, getting back to dowsing, do you use or teach map dowsing in your courses? Oh, yeah. And in fact, uh, we teach the different, different methods of map dowsing. Uh, if you're going to use the pendulum, uh, if you're going to use the pendulum, uh, you can douse over a map for the spot and try to find the spot. Okay. Uh, that's mainly called scrying, I think. Uh, there is also a method for using yes, no. First of all, you say, is the target on this map? Yes or no. If it's not, hey, get another map. If it is, then you say, I'm going to draw a line down the middle and cut it into four quadrants. Then you say, is it in this quadrant? Is it in this quadrant? Is it in this quadrant? This quadrant. When you find the yes, you divide that into four quadrants. Is it in this, 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 this? You divide that. And finally, you get down to the building where the hostage is being held or something like that. The other, that's called the sectoring method that we use. The vectoring method is where you take the pendulum at one corner of the map and you say swing in the direction of the target. And whichever way it starts swinging, you draw a line out across the map. You go to the other corner and you say, now swing in the direction of the target. You draw a line out that way. X marks the spot, but you, you have less accuracy. You go up to the middle of the map and say, now swing in the direction of the target. You'll draw another line across and you wind up with a small triangle. If you've done it right and you're good at it, the target will be within that triangle. Okay. And so this is, these are basically two of the methods we use for map, map dowsing. Well, three, one is scrying, the other is sectoring, the other is vectoring. There are other methods we use for dowsing where you don't use a pendulum, and those have their various names too. Uh, was that at all confusing? 
<laughs> no, I think I think I've uh, run across those ideas. But at what point during a session would you introduce that? Uh, generally, we do introduce that in stage six. In stage six is where you're doing most of your map work, timeline work, um, uh, scenario works, uh, uh, allegorical work, stuff like that. Uh, was that uh, something that Ingo taught, or is this one of the improvements you had mentioned earlier? No, Ingo taught a lot of that. Uh, now, Paul Smith came up with another way, and, uh, and it works as well. Uh, Paul Smith would drag a ruler down across a map wherever he felt a bump. He'd draw a line. He'd draw it across the map sideways wherever he felt the bump on that line. He would draw another line and then come down at an angle and so on. And uh, there are other ways uh, that Ingo taught uh, that um, like dowsing with, uh, with your finger, okay? Looking for a hot spot or a sharp spot on the map uh, by feeling the map and all that, or just going over it, feeling, trying to feel the heat. Um, we have also found that your wrist where you test the baby's milk is more sensitive to heat than the finger. So you'll see many CRVers now going with their wrist over the map, dowsing with their wrist to find the hot spot and uh, things like that. Yeah, there have been many additions and improvements. Um, Ingo did the, uh, the finger movements and the pendulum. Uh, I don't know whether he did any of the others or not. This is the thing. Um, Ingo lost the contract the day before I got to the target. I mean, but the day before I got to the unit. Story of my life. And uh, so I trained with his students. Now, later, I got to where uh, I was good friends with Ingo. I would go up and visit. We would talk about not only remote viewing, but about the pipes in the basement and his health and everything else. But we talked a lot about the remote viewing. And um, I learned a lot from him that I did not learn from his students. So, um, um, but as far as the stage six tools, uh, uh, Tom McNear is the only one who took stage six with uh, Ingo. And so you would be best asking Tom instead of me. I, I hope that helped. Excellent. Thanks, that, Rich. Okay, so we're getting close to the end now. I've still got a couple of questions here in the that were asked earlier and one was from ray and it's a free part question so we'll see how we go with it um he asks uh what was the project that you can talk about number one that you found most interesting the project yeah a project using remote viewing that you find them the most interesting um well there are several and it's sort of hard uh 
in the military, there were many of those projects that I found extremely interesting and uh, not sure whether I can still talk about them or not. Once I got out, um, we were, we were uh, hired by a space research uh, company. And I have about 20 of these. Uh, uh, we did, okay, this was one of the first ones. Uh, uh, where are we? There we are. Uh, a solar system like ours. And this is some of my artwork here for the cover, but it was done and uh, uh, HD, uh, star system HD 70642 um, has, was known to have planets and they wanted, uh, uh, they wanted information on the planets. We did the planets. We found uh, uh, sentient beings on one planet. On another, we found one of the other planets. We found uh, uh, a refinery that was automated, uh, that provided uh, supplies and all for the planet that was there. Uh, but then the one that was most interesting to me was this one, First Cultural Contact. Uh, do you know what uh, the State Department uh, area books are? Uh, when a diplomat is going from the U.S. to Bugalugistan, okay, they they don't want that diplomat to do something stupid and start a war with Bugalugistan or something. So they give him an area book that tells the customs, the religion, the finances, the uh, the political situation, the housing situation, everything about that. And so this company wanted, uh, you know, if we send, well, they said, when we send astronauts there, uh, we don't want them doing something stupid and starting a war between the planets. So would you give us an area book on that planet? And so we did first cultural contact and uh, what the astronauts that they are to send to that planet need to know about that culture. Now, uh, I've told this to several people and they've said, oh, I can do that. No, listen, these companies want a proven track record of around 90% accuracy before they will hire you or pay you to do this. So if you just say, oh, I'm a psychic, I can do that. They won't even listen to you, okay? But uh, from this, there have been a couple of other, um, there have been a couple of other companies that have hired us to do area books, not only for, for other planets and other species, but also uh, for different places on the earth and different cultures on the earth. And like on this one, uh, you see all the tabs on it. Uh, we have, um, on all of these that we do, we uh, start it with 
an executive summary. Yeah. Uh, just a one page for the big boss so that he can think he knows what he's talking about. Uh, then we go into uh, the uh, background information that we had, that it was a planet, okay? And uh, then we go into the viewers, what each one found about the religion, about their customs, about what they, what food they eat and don't eat, and and about all this other stuff. And we did a full area book on this planet, and we've done that, like I say, on others too. So, um, so we do a lot of projects. By the way, you won't hear about these. People get on the internet and they say, well, we don't see you doing anything. Yeah, these companies uh, require non-disclosure agreements. And so you're not going to hear about these things. That doesn't mean they're not being done. We have many project managers that are out doing this work. You're not going to hear about the work they do. Okay. You get on Facebook and you see somebody bragging about what they've done and all that. Um, it's probably because they've done it themselves, not for somebody else. Yeah. One of his other questions Ray asked was, um, is there one session that you did that you found out the most about yourself? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was tasked one time with this, um, giving a personality profile of this person. Uh, when you access a person, there are two levels. One is um, personality profile, where you observe them and give a personality profile. And the other is where you access them mentally, find out their personality and everything else. So I was asked to do a personality profile on this person. And uh, I got the feedback after the session that I was 100% accurate. And uh, I found some things about this person that, you know, uh, were somewhat embarrassing, some things that were good, some things that were bad. Come to find out the person targeted was me. Uh, uh, there was another person in the unit who did the same and they tasked me to do a personality profile on them. They came back later and said, yes, I was accurate, but they were not pleased with that session. I mean, they're really ticked off with that session. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I've done those. Uh -huh. Excellent. Oh, great. And thanks for sharing. What I'll do, I think, Lynn, is uh, we've been going for two hours, so I don't, don't want to keep you too long. And I just want to say, on behalf of everyone here, thank you for coming along this evening and sharing. Okay, all can, I, can I put in some plugs here? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I hate to go over time and all that. No, no, we got plenty of time. I just my book is the Seventh Sense. Uh, it's put out by uh, Simon and Schuster, and is available on Amazon. My science fiction book is Gravity Can Be Your Friend. It's put out by Lulu. It's available on Amazon. I have two other books. The Seventh Sense is in Italian as well, and I find out it's in French and Romanian too. Uh, also. Uh, I teach strictly online now, and uh, uh, I'm not teaching in class because of COVID and because of my health situation. You know, if I catch COVID, I'm, I'm 
Thanks for listening to The yeah. Signal Line, Toast. a remote viewing <laughs> podcast. And, uh, Don't forget to check so out remoteviewed.com anyway, uh, for remote viewing uh, resources or our videos and, on YouTube uh, under Remote and Viewed. The courses are available to you. The courses are also available with the other certified CRV trainers uh, and also Paul Smith. Um, and I think he has trained some trainers. So the eligibility for training is out there. Take advantage of it, okay? Make sure you get a qualified instructor and take advantage of it uh, because so far we haven't found anybody that can't do this. That's my plug. And then all the details for that are on your, on your website, aren't they? They're available. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And what we'll do is when I post this online as well, I'll add all the links to all that to, to, to the text as well that goes with the description. Okay. CRViewer.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And again, on behalf of everyone here tonight, thanks for sharing with us. And for me personally, thanks for sharing over the years because. Um, well, I thank you for inviting me and thank everybody for coming. I, I hope this has helped. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, you've helped me a lot over the years, uh, right from way back in the early nineties when I, first start getting information off you online and i just want to say personally thank you for all the help you've given me over all that time as well i'm i'm glad thank you very much yep thanks very much lynn uh, have a great weekend ahead and thank you again for the chat all right we'll see you then thank you yeah. take care everyone thanks for all attending and thanks for the great questions have a great great weekend thank you bye everyone bye-bye